Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. If you were asked the question, what is the one thing that really divides or separates, well, I hate to use the word separation, but distinguishes, let's say, uh, unity from everybody else, all other spiritual uh, teachings, if you will. I would say that the one thing is that we teach a paradigm of oneness. A paradigm of oneness, not as, a, as opposed to separation. And in a paradigm of oneness, everything is at the fundamental level, at the most fundamental level you can get, everything is one. Everything is connected. Everything comes from the same source. And as such, then no, nothing is really fundamentally different from anything else. And, and that's an interesting idea. So I wanted to share with you today something that I read early on in my, when I came to Unity. I said, I want to know more about, about everything, because I'm just the way I am. And so I, I found this a book. It's called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. And it's based on this book, and his name is uh, Reverend Marcus Borg. He was an Episcopalian minister. He was a distinguished professor, and uh, he was a biblical scholar. In addition, Reverend Borg was part of the group called the Jesus Seminar. Who, who's familiar with the Jesus Seminar? Very few. Okay, Je Jesus Seminar was some 150 uh, biblical scholars and laymen who got together twice a year for 15 years from the 80s to the 90s, now almost 2000, to try to determine as much as possible the actual, what were the words in the Bible that could really be attributed to Jesus and those that were more than likely were not the words of Jesus. And they had a little code. They had, and it was a color code. It was like, more than likely said that, probably didn't say that, might have said that, and definitely did not say that just based on their scholasticism. They're trying to they were trying to find the historical Jesus. And when I woke up this morning, <laughs> the first thing I thought, I should have called this lesson Jesus, sage or savior? And because that is the central question that Reverend Borg is addressing. The, the traditional image of Christianity has Jesus as the savior of the world. And the question is, is that an accurate image of him. Strange as it may sound, Reverend Borg and other scholars, because I've heard other scholars say the same thing, would say that Jesus as the savior of the world would have been a foreign idea to Jesus. What? He would not have recognized that idea. Why? Because in the earliest of the writings, he simply did not talk that way. He did not speak this way. The apostles did not speak to him that way, as, as that's what the image it was. So broadly speaking, there are two Jesuses in the Bible. One is the historical Jesus, which I just told you, and that's the man who walked the planet, who taught spiritual truth, who was a prophet, a teacher, a way shower. And we know very little about this Jesus. 
Reverend Borg refers to this figure as the pre-Easter Jesus. Easter changed everything. And then the other Jesus is the post-Easter Jesus, after the resurrection. This is the Jesus that we traditionally call the Christ of faith. This is the mainstream Christian Jesus. So right off the gate, Reverend Borg addresses this. He says, there are three central questions that are asked about Jesus. Who was he? What was his mission? And what was his message? We're all familiar with the traditional answers to these questions. Who was he? He is the only, only begotten son of God. What was his mission? To die for the sins of the world. What was his message? Most centrally, it was about himself, his own identity as the son of God, and the saving purpose of his death and the importance of believing in him. That's traditional Christianity. And it's based, that's the very definition of it. And this view, again, was not really Jesus' view. It was Paul's view. And I've said that over and over. This is the, Paul the Apostle Paul. Uh, there are like 27 books in the New Testament. 16 of them, 16, more than half, are either by Paul, about Paul, or attributed to Paul. And Paul never, hardly ever, talks about Jesus. Rarely quotes him. Uh, he speaks of the Christ of faith, the second one, which he created because that was based on his understanding of Jesus, of the resurrected Jesus. And by the way, he never met him. Never met him. The only contact he had with him, with Jesus, was in a vision that he had after the resurrection. So about the historical Jesus, we know very, very little. And the reason why is because there are no objective writings about Jesus. Everything that we have comes from the Gospels and from Paul, and these are people who believed in him. So we have no, and there are historians during the time. There were plenty. They don't write about him at all. So it's a very difficult thing to, to find the historical Jesus. It has been tried over and over. The one thing that we know about Jesus is that, according to the scholars, is that he was an eschatological preacher. What's eschatological? It is the end times. And that's very much evident in the Gospel of Mark, which, by the way, is the oldest of, of the Gospels. They're not in that order, but it was Mark, then Matthew, Luke, and John, written like 30 years after Mark. And in that book, he talks like an apocalyptic preacher. He's telling them that the end, prepare yourself. The end is coming. And in one statement, he even says, before your lifetime, it's coming. Like right now, it's going to happen. Paul had the same feeling. Paul had the same feeling that it was going to end during their lifetime. So it's hard to get an, uh, an accurate image of Jesus. And as I said, it's been tried. But bottom line is the authors all say one thing. Whatever Jesus you're looking for in the Bible, that's the one you will find. Period. And that's an interesting statement because I've said over and over, we are living our consciousness. That's what Fillmore said, Charles Fillmore. We're always living our consciousness. So we only see that which matches with our consciousness. That's what we see. That's what we find. And so if you're looking for a, a, a savior Jesus, you will find a savior Jesus. And we talked about these stages that are actually coming in very handy. 
But if you're, if you're in a stage where you're looking for a, a way show or example to Jesus, then that's the Jesus you will find. And that is the Je Jesus. He says there's another Je Jesus in there that's very not common. And that is a Jesus as a wisdom teacher, as the teacher of wisdom. Somehow that kind of, probably the most important thing that he really came to do and, and show us. And, and probably the least thing that we picked up from him. And, and there's plenty of evidence from it. And, and so it's no surprise that, that, we, we, that there is plenty of evidence for, for this view of Jesus. Because we're all looking through our filters, through our lenses. And the filter of this postmodern stage that we seem to be in eliminates, filters out parts that are inconsistent, that are, not exclu that are exclusive, that are judgmental, that involve retribution. That's the filter that we are looking through. And it, it, it eliminates all the contaminants that cloud the only commandment he ever gave, love. It's the only one he did. And, and they're, filtered, they're, they're cluttered by all the other stuff. I'm very grateful that I came to Unity and I found and I met this new Jesus. It was very important to me. I grew up Catholic, and, and I don't know, maybe you did too, but I don't know how many times I, I grew up apologizing to Jesus because I didn't believe in the Jesus that I was told Jesus was. And, and I've come to understand it's because it didn't match my consciousness. It's simple as that. And so Unity and, and these books, they, they gave me a different view of image of the Master Jesus. And so I, I want to spend a little time uh, visiting with, uh, Mr. with Reverend Borg and because he tells us a little bit about his journey. And it's very similar to mine, kind of, in a way. Here's what he, say, he describes his journey. And remember, he's a minister, and not a, not a unity minister, an Episcopalian minister. He says his childhood, he says, by the end of my childhood, the ingredients of the popular Je Jesus were in place. As a child, I, I was taught that Jesus was the only son of God, that he was divinely begotten of God, and he died for the sins of the world, and whose message was about himself and his saving purpose. Indeed, he says, John 3.16, that verse I memorized as a preschooler, expressed in childhood image perfectly, Jesus is the divine savior in whom one is to believe if you wish to receive eternal life. And he says, then when I got to adolescence, he says, in my early teens, I began to have doubts about the existence of God. It was an experience filled with anxiety, doubt, fear. I still believed enough to be afraid of going to hell. <laughs> but I was experiencing a collision, he says, between the modern worldview and my childhood beliefs. That's, I went through a period like that for a long time where there's this Nothing there. For 15 years, I think, I just, I stopped doing anything. And he says he gets to his college years, and he says he talked, uh, he took a, a required religion course, and there was a young professor, PhD, just fresh out of college and a PhD degree. And he offered, he said, a fresh and exciting way of looking at all these big questions. The experience, he says, was fascinating and liberating. It's a fact that I in, that inherited that, that the inherited sacred cows of belief began to fall. The sacred cows of belief, he calls them. 
So this guy, he's really like questioning everything at this point when he's in college. So what does he decide to do? He decides to go to seminary. What everybody would do when you're confused, right? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> and this is what I say, you know, he said that he, he, he could not longer believe the old views, and I've said it before, and, and that's a lot, of, a lot of the issues right now with a lot of people. Uh, that's why we have so many atheists. In the old, super old days, like in the, in, in the, in the Jesus days, there were no atheists. They all believed in something. <laughs> but, but now, we no longer believe the story, so we discard the story, but we don't have a new story to replace it with. That's why I said, come to Unity, I'll explain it to you. <laughs> it works. So it's the classic throwing the baby out with the bath water. So he heads out to seminary, and guess what? He experiences a great shock. This is what he writes. In seminary, I learned that the image of Jesus from my childhood, the popular image of Jesus as a divine savior who knew himself to be the son of God and who offered up his life for the sins of the world was not historically accurate. He learned that the gospels are neither divine documents nor straightforward historical records, nor are they eyewitness accounts by people who wrote this. They were written like three two, three generations later. And and I've read that before, that when you go to traditional seminary, they actually teach you these things. They do. But then they come out of there, and they go straight back to that old message. It's very strange. I, I don't understand it. But I mean, it's, the facts are the facts, right? What are you going to do? And hopefully, we have learned that going through these stages, that we have useful information. This is the point about this. As we go through these different stages of, of spiritual unfolding, uh, we, we, every stage has information that is valuable and accurate and, and also in, in, invaluable and inaccurate. And, and Christianity is no different. But So I completely support throwing out the bathwater. But I don't support throwing out the baby. And what is the baby in this scenario? It is the idea that behind Christ, the Christian story is that fundamentally that God took the form of man. But the difference in unity is that, yes, that is true in the form of Jesus. But God did the same thing in the form of each and every one of you. Because it cannot, back to the original thing, in a paradigm of oneness, Nothing can be that fundamentally different. It can't. You're, you're a different species if you're from another planet or something. It doesn't work. And the, and the core essence of everyone is that we are one. And that's the most important thing. So who, who, who was this Jesus then? The one he's talking about. The new one he wants to introduce us to. He said he was a wisdom teacher again. And his main message was spirit and compassion. And compassion, he says, is central to his message. And compassion is an interesting word because he says it in both Aramaic and Hebrew, the translation of compassion is womb, the womb. That kind of love, that kind of feeling for something else that, that like a mother has for a child in the womb. 
And he says, and for a man, it would be the feeling that you have for a brother or a sister because you share the womb. You came from the same source. And that's what that, that kind of a feeling that he is trying to project to us, that we all come from the same source. The problem is, in English, the translation for compassion is mercy or merciful. And that doesn't really work because it, it gives it, see, he says it, it gives you a sense of superior relationship to someone else. It's like, I, 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 I get to show you mercy. So I'm some kind of a superior. He said, that's not the translation at all. It's that same source love feeling. So he continues that, that Jesus left us with a lot of affirmation, aphorisms, sorry, aphorisms and parables. And that was his method of teaching. An aphorism is a very short saying, a one-liner. One of them would be like, you cannot serve two masters. That's an aphorism. This is an interesting one. I have to talk about this one day. Leave the dead to bury the dead. What was he saying there? Hmm. And he says, you strain a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> That's an aphorism. And so they're one-liners. And he said, but they're not meant to be used one time. It's something you would use all the time. He would use these fake news or something like that. You know? <laughs> he would use these little things over and over and over. And that's why he says that it's very unlikely the Sermon of the Mount is a collection of aphorisms. And very unlikely that he sat there and, and said them all in a single discourse. It was probably more that he was doing them all the time and the author decided to put them together in this way. And I have a lesson on the Sermon of the Mount, and I'll, and I'll do that for you one of these days. So he writes, Aphorisms of Jesus are best understood as memorable crystallizations of insight that invite, invite further insight. Of course, the parables are longer. I shared a parable with you, I think, early on when I first got here, maybe back in February. The parable of the prodigal son. Do you remember that? Yeah. I think that's my favorite one. And, and, and what is the message there? And again, this is Jesus talking. This is not Paul. This is Jesus. And he's telling you in the parable of the prodigal son that God loves us unconditionally. And he's telling us another thing in that message, that God does not judge us. The father neither, he did not judge him at all. And, I, and, and that, that's very important and I think this all really comes down to one thing, Jesus' teachings and what he's trying to say here is as he was trying to teach us to see and to, and to know God as an experiential reality. Try to soak that in. An experiential reality. What does that mean? That means to, to see God in everything. To, to, to come from that space where, where, where God, God is in everything and you experience it, that awe of, of, every, of the wonder of what life is, because it really is. If you haven't stopped and looked around, you kind of really need to. It, it, it's an amazing thing. Everything, the cosmos, you name it. It's craziness. If, if, you, if you're not astounded, you're not paying attention. And I'm here to tell you, pay attention. <laughs> anyway, 
he, 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 he ends up like this. He says, um, in, the five, in the final chapter, he says, the image of Jesus that I have sketched in the preceding chapters is quite different from the popular image of Jesus. The Jesus many of us have met before, his own self-understanding, did not include thinking and speaking himself as the Son of God, whose historical intention or purpose was to die for the sins of the world. Rather, he was a spirit person. And as such, he was a teacher. And he invited his followers into a transforming relationship with the same spirit that he himself had come to understand, had come to see. So he was trying to show us what God was like and to have the experience of that. He wasn't trying to tell. And, and so at the beginning, I asked three questions about Jesus. Who was he? What was his mission? And what was his message? So from this new perspective, how, we know how tradition answers the questions. I already said that. But how would we answer the questions? You know, I would say, who was Jesus? He was a person like any other person. More spiritually aware of his true nature, for sure. But he was a great teacher, fully divine and fully human. Just like you are. Exactly like you are. To see him otherwise, as I said, means he is fundamentally different from us. And in fact, tradition teaches that. I learned that along the scholastic way. That Jesus, as the only son of God, means that, and I heard this and I said, whoa, that we will never be sons of God. Never. The best we can do is be adopted sons of God based on the faith of Jesus. I said, that's the best I can do? Be an adopted son? You'll never be a true son. I said, that's fundamentally, it's, I don't understand it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. But so what was his mission? To show us how to live, how to know God as an experience. And what was his message? That we are no different than he is. He said, that works I do, you shall do as well. And this is the Jesus that we know in unity. We say the great example, not the great exception. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>